Welcome to Find the Magic, the podcast that will help you honor yourself, your kids, and your partner. We'll give you tips and strategies to create peace and authenticity within your family. We inhale a ridiculous amount of books and life tools and distill the information for you. I'm Terilyn Griffin. I'm Caitlin Gabriel. And I'm Felicia Allen. Let's find the magic together. Hey everybody, it's Felicia here. Welcome to Find the Magic. We are here today with Gita Holmoller of Real Food Hero, and she is going to save your meal times, hopefully. <laughs> so, <laughs> Gita, welcome. Can you tell us your food philosophy and why you're on a mission to help families? Yes, absolutely. Thank you, Felicia. Yeah, so I am a psychologist. I am not a you know a dietitian or something like that. So my philosophy around food is very much about empowering our kids and giving them autonomy really around food and around mealtimes. Mm. So that means for me, it, it's very much about us, you know, refraining from all the power struggles and all the table tantrums and just to stop falling into those traps of, you know, pushing and coercing and trying to control our kids to get them to eat. Mm. Because it's almost like, you know, these days, parents know a lot about what to do and what not to do. And we've really educated ourselves a lot, I think. And I think we we know that we, we shouldn't, you know, threaten and control and punish and do all that. But as soon as we get to the dinner table, it's just like we're kind of like switching the time back to the 1960s or something like that, because that is usually the the set of values that come out. And so often we hear things like, I want you to eat because if you don't, this and that will happen, or you better finish that or you will go hungry to bed or whatever. Mm -hmm. So it's like turning back the time, like almost 60 years, you know, and just plumbing into this, you know, or, or falling into these traps of all the things that we know not to do. So that's my mission here. That's really one of the things that I've been very consumed with to kind of empower kids, but also empower parents to empower their kids, because that's what it's all about. For sure. And I think this is such a recurring common problem in families and, and something that people have anxiety around. And yes, I think as we look at it, there's a lot of us who feel like, but I ate my food and I wasn't this ungrateful for food and I blah, blah, mm -hmm. blah. And I think that a lot of parents feel like kids are having more and more of an issue with eating. Do you, is that something you see with the families you help? Yeah, that they kind of, you know, they, 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 they think that there's a bigger problem today than it used to be. Is that what you're asking? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I think you're right. And I think that's also part of the modern, you know, parenting philosophy that we, we sometimes do our kids a big disservice by offering them too many options. And I think that's something that's, that's happening a lot too. Mm -hmm. So yes, kids tend to be fussy at mealtimes and they tend to, you know, not being able to pick out what they want or they want it all and then they want nothing and all that. So, mm -hmm. so I think you're right in terms of our modern times and our modern, you know, way of approaching parenting and our kids. I think sometimes that's what it's about. But I think you're also right in that there's a lot of anxiety around mealtimes and around, you know, when we call them to the table and say dinner's ready. I think not only they sometimes become anxious about what's on the table, 
but we do too, because we become tense and we become, you know, worried and concerned about our kids because we know that maybe they don't eat a lot or they only want what's not good for them or, you know, the struggles that are lying ahead of us. We're like, oh my God, this is happening again. So there's a lot of anxiety around mealtimes. And I think that's really what kind of sets in, you know, as soon as, you know, we, we say dinner's ready. Yeah. And so I want to flesh out two things you said. And, and one of them is, this is not something that I've struggled with with my kids and like, you know, like researching it and thinking about it and talking to experts on it. I think it's because exactly what you're saying. I grew up in a single parent home. And Mm -hmm. so for us, there, there wasn't a choice of the foods and it it wasn't like, I just feel so grateful. I get to eat. Like it wasn't to that level, but it was like, this is the food we have. And there wasn't any perception of there being any other options. And I've really carried that through with my kids because it's what I, what I know, but I know that that's, that is not what, you know, usually is going on. So do you see those choices being a detriment in families where the kid kind of knows the chicken nuggets are waiting in the freezer if they refuse long enough because their parents are like, well, I need them to eat. So, yes. so how do you address that little situation? Oh, yes. And, and that, that is, it's such a beautiful example because I think what, what I usually encounter when I talk to parents is that usually parents place themselves in one of two categories. Either they're being very lenient and very permissive and very like, you know, it's almost like the child is the boss and they're like, oh, you don't want to eat what we served? Oh my God, let me find you whatever you want. What do you want, little, little honey? Do you want, yeah. um, do you want nuggets or do you want this or do you want that? And, and they present them with so many options. And the kid, will be like maybe you know completely dizzy from all the the, from all the options or they'd be like yeah I want the nuggets and I want it now (laughs) and then maybe when they get the nuggets they might not want to eat them because they wanted something else so so be it but so that's one you know one category that a lot of parents place themselves in and again it's not to shame anybody here because I I know how difficult this is and I know it's coming from a place of love and it's coming up of a place of concern but it's just not the the most smart tool to use when we're approaching mealtimes. So that's one of them. In the other end of the continuum, if you could say that, is the more um, is the stricter and more like authoritarian. You could say where um, there is no options at all. There are no options at all. You eat this, or this will happen. Or if you don't eat right now, I'm gonna make sure that blah blah blah, whatever. Mm-hmm. Very strict. They can be controlling and shaming and pressuring. Or there will be a lot of restrictions, and there will be a lot of you know. It's not a, a pleasant mealtime environment. You could say that. Right. So. That's what I think that most parents fall into. And a lot of the permissive parents do what they do because they don't want to fall into the too strict and too, you know, um, controlling approach that the authoritarian approach is. And a lot of the ones that do the other thing don't want to be too permissive. So it's it's like it's either or for a lot of parents. Mm-hmm. So I'm really here a lot to tell parents out there that we definitely have you know, a middle, uh, middle way out here because we definitely have other ways to go. We have this more, you know, respectful middle place where we can, where we can actually meet our kids with trust and we can, we can teach them how to listen to their bodies and we can empower them and we can really teach them how to approach mealtimes in a completely different way. Because what happens when we're being too permissive is that, 
the kid will be presented with too many options usually. Mm-hmm. And they will be completely confused and completely, you know, not able to listen to their own bodies, really, because they are like zigzagging back and forth between all the options. And on the other hand, if we have the authoritarian parent, what will happen here is that the kids will usually stop to listen to their inner cues of being, how hungry am I? And do I want this? Does my body need this or that? Because what happens is that they will only listen to the external cues of either threats or bribes or, you know, uh, I want you to to finish your plate because this is a clean plate club or whatever we're saying, right? Mm -hmm. So, So that's usually how it you know, parents find themselves in a deadlock because they think that these are the only two options. Yeah, I and we talk about that a lot here on Find the Magic where it's at that mm-hmm. exact scale when it comes to parenting. And yes, it's just that feeling of we need to meet our kids where they are at. And I think there yes. is obviously a slight, you know, like we are still the parents. So it is our job to, you know, set that we either yes. a play pen or a guardrail, like we have to set that, but yes, it's not like in the forcing of it. Exactly. We can still hold our boundaries without being too strict or too controlling or too shaming or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's all about holding the boundaries and still, you know, showing them love and respect and, and trust and all that. And it's definitely possible, but we need some tools, of course. Yeah, I want to hear your tools. So so if we're looking at meeting in the middle, so say it's a typical family dinner time, does that look something like, first of all, release the anxiety? You know, I always say your kid isn't going to starve to death. So set exactly. that aside. Set that aside. <laughs> yes. Like, let this meal be fun. I think that food is can be such a, a place of joy and gathering and being together. And when it when it moves into that anxiety, of course they hate it. Of course they exactly. don't come hang out at the table and enjoy the food with you. They're stressed. Yes. So remove that. And is it presenting? This is what for this is what's for dinner. These options. It's okay if you exactly. eat it or not, but we're not having anything else. Is that the vibe you use? It is actually. And I want to say that, you know, in an overall theoretical frame, I want to I want to um, just mention that we have Ellen Satter, who is a um, dietitian, but she's also a family therapist who is very much an expert on the on the whole pickiness um, topic. So what she's put forward in a lot of her books is this theory of the division of responsibility, which basically just means that at mealtimes, what we should do, she says, is to say, OK, we as parents, we decide where and what and when to eat. So we kind of, we decide the serving factors actually. So we decide, you know, all these things, where to eat at the table or wherever it is and what to, we we decide that, you know, what to serve and we decide when it's served. On the other hand, our kids, it's up to them. It's their responsibility to decide how much from what is served they want to eat and what from what is served they want to eat. And also, and I think that's maybe the most controversial part of it is if they want to eat at all. Mm -hmm. Because if they don't want to eat at all, then it's on them. Basically, you could say that once you have put the food on the table, your job is done. I want to say something. I just want to mention too that 
what we usually do at our house and what I what I know that a lot of, you know, the, the pickiness experts out there recommend too, is to put safe foods on the table. And by safe foods, I mean foods that you know that your child can like. They might not like it today because our their taste buds change all the time and they have all kinds of reasons for not maybe wanting it today. But put some safe foods on the table. I usually put one or two on the table every day with every meal. So like that could be, it could be bread or it could be uh, cut out veggies or it could be rice or pasta or whatever. Change them up so it doesn't become all the same all the time, but just make sure that there will be something on the table that they will like. Because the reason why this is so important is that when you go to the table and let's say you're five years old or four years old, and you know that mealtimes are a struggle and you know that on the table there are going to be things that you are not familiar with and that maybe, you know, you're going to feel some pressure to eat it and everybody else around the table will eat them. Then you kind of feel anxious about it. So just seeing something there on the table that you recognize, that you are familiar with, like pasta or bread or whatever, then the anxiety, it just, it re, it's going to be a lot lower than it would be if it wasn't there. And it's really important that it's there from the beginning. It's not something that they say, I want pasta, because then you're going to be a short order cook and you don't want to be that. So there's a lot of, you know, the end result might be the same. The pasta is there and it's the safe food. But the whole trick is that you vouch for what you serve. Mm-hmm. And as long as you do that, it's up to them to, you know, to decide what they want to eat from that. Yeah. And, you know, on the authoritarian parent side, or maybe on, on the side of, I, I can tend to lean a little bit this way. When I hear that, I have a little siren in the back of my mind saying, but they'll only eat the bread, but they'll only eat the bread. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. But, and I, I can acknowledge that for parents who have had a history of their kid being extremely picky but once you ease the anxiety you Mm -hmm. know my kids don't have any anxiety around eating so when they come to the table and I and there might be something new when Mm -hmm. I suggest they try it they I mean they want to try it and even when I suggest they try it it's like they're excited but yes (laughs) for that they have to get to that point by relaxing into the meals exactly and that's what what I want to say about that is that exposure is probably the most powerful tool that we have around mealtime because it's not just saying that okay I served the, I served you whatever I served and then it's the rest is up to you. I think it's also very much about the you know creating a pleasant and a trusting mealtime environment and part of creating that pleasant and meal you know mealtime environment is that we create a a space where we can, you know, expose our kids still. They might not go for it, but exposure is to still insist on serving things that you know that they might not like yet. Mm -hmm. The thing about exposure is that we keep exposing them to these things because practicing to like something is very much like practicing to, you know, soccer or gymnastics or whatever. It takes time. And exposure, for instance... They, what they say out there is that it takes like 15 or 20 times, but it might take even more. Right. Don't give up. It takes so much patience to work within the boundaries of these, you know, this um, gentle mealtime approach, because it is very much about trusting them. It's very much about having patience and letting them approach these things at their own pace. And it's also very much about being a role model and saying, you know, 
I've never tried this before. Um, I think I might give it a go and and it and be authentic in it. Like it's okay if you don't fancy it too much. I tried it today and it wasn't my thing necessarily, but you know, I'll try it again next time. I'm, it might grow on me because that's also the mindset that we want to communicate to our kids that teaching or that learning, you know, how to like a new food is very much about practice. And it's very much about, well, you might not like it today, but you can learn to like it. Maybe next time you'll have, you know, maybe next time you'll be able to have the courage to taste it, or maybe you'll be ready for it next time. So that's a very important thing here is to not just step back and say, oh, whatever. Um, now I put the food forward. We can do more things than that. We can do like we can encourage our kids in so many ways, as long as we don't put pressure on them. Yeah. And another thing I want to say about that, too, is like exposure is so many things. Either just keep, you know, putting things out there for them to maybe taste if they're ready for it. It's also passing bowls around at the table. I usually make sure that, especially my four-year-old, who can tend to be a little picky, I make sure that she has all the bowls in her hand at some point during the meal, because then I know she's been exposed to it. If it's the peas or the broccoli or the chicken or the pasta or whatever, I don't care. She needs to, like, I pass it to her and, and I say, do you want some of this? And if, if she says, mm, no, okay, that's okay. You can pass it on to your dad then. And then she passes it on. But I just know she's seen it. She's probably smelled it a little bit too. And she's held it kind of in her hands and it was close to her. And she's already become a little bit more familiar with it. So yeah. that's really important. And also cooking with kids is part of, you know, that's one way of exposing our kids to um, to new foods. Like I recently, I made pizza with uh, my seven-year-old and my four-year-old. And both of them just exclaimed in the beginning, like, yeah, we don't like cheese. It was mozzarella cheese or something. And, and I was like, yeah, that's okay. Can you please just, you know, put it on like little bouquets of flowers, just put it on, on the pizza. And they were like, yeah, okay. And before I knew it, I think I had turned around and I was like, when I came back, they had eaten half of it. And I was like, what What happened to the cheese, you know? And they were like, oh, it's good. good. Do you have more, mom? And I was like, oh, well, well you know, <laughs> we don't have enough for the pizza, but um, but that's okay. Because that just served as one, and that just really is a good example of what happens when you don't pressure them to do anything. Because then it becomes, you know, an internal motivation. And that's really what we want when we're talking about kids and food. We want it to come from within instead of us telling them you need to taste that or you need this or that. Yeah, I think that about 100 things you said, I was just like, yes, amen. And I think there's there's so many ways in which in, a, in America and I yeah. think starting throughout the modern world and modern parenting in which we've removed the enjoyment of Mills. Yes. And we've turned it into, you know, obviously we've been talking about the anxiety of it. We're on some weird diet, we're or or whatever yes. it is. And we've removed the, you know, the smelling, the cooking with the kids, the mm -hmm. them different combinations and expressing how much we enjoy the food. And I think that's such a disservice. And yes. something you said a little two tools that I like to use. One, I make sure even if my kid has in the past not loved a food, I will never say that. I will never right. create, oh, they wouldn't like that barbecue sauce. It's too spicy. So I'm not going to put it <laughs> Exactly. And because why, why would I say that? Maybe they'll like it this time. And of course they won't if they never try it again. So 
So that is a little tip. And then also what you were saying, I like to tell my kids, your taste buds will get smarter. Yes. Over time, you'll like it. Your taste buds will get a little bit smarter. And it's, it's like a positive reinforcement where they're kind of like, oh, I want my taste buds to get smarter. I'm going to try it. Exactly. And more courageous, right? Smarter and more courageous. And I think that's really what it's all about. Like teaching them, okay, you can learn. Like if we just keep at it, you will learn, of course. As parents, we usually worry about what our kids are eating. Are they eating enough? Are they getting the protein that they need, the vitamins, the minerals? And that's why we're excited to bring you today's sponsor, Nourished. They make supplements for kids that can just help you rest assured that they're getting what they need for their little bodies. Our personal favorite is their Mighty Chocolate Milk comes in both dairy and plant-based options. It's organic. It has all the essential protein and probiotics that your kids need, as well as some organic spinach in there. They also have super juice in two different flavors, fruit punch and tropical orange. Both are delicious. My kids have tried and love both. They have complete multivitamins and whole fruits and veggies inside the powders. They're super easy to mix in just like a water bottle. And then they also have a kid's immune booster with winter coming up that is all natural and it's made out of whole foods that are turned into a powder like elderberry and vitamin C, D, and zinc. And it's kind of like a pixie stick, so it's really fun to eat and delicious. My kids always want more of them. So during this cold and flu season, it is a hit. So if you would like to try any of Nourish products, you can use code FINDTHEMAGIC15. That's F-I-N-D-T-H-E-M-A-G-I-C-1-5. Find the Magic 15 for 15% off your order. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So, you know, we're talking about mealtimes here, and then we have this other little cherry on top called sweets and treats and desserts. Oh, yes. And I feel like this is a place where a lot of people, a lot of parents get trapped in that not being an area of enjoyment and embracing as a family, but it turns into, oh, do I restrict? Do I bribe with it? Is it a reward? So talk to us about Mm -hmm. sweets and treats. Oh, yes. And and that's such a big topic. I feel like, you know, maybe 50% of my questions are about sweets and treats and how to approach this because it's it's just so, so, so hard. We hear so many things, we read so many things, and there are so many recommendations out there. Some say that we shouldn't give our kids treats at all, like or sweets or candy or whatever at all. And some say, well, we need to teach them how to approach these things in a in a healthy and balanced way. And obviously, I'm more for the latter, but how to do that? And I think that's really, a lot of parents are really just confused about how to do it. But I think overall, first of all, I want to say that we 
very much need to think about what underlying message we're sending to our kids when we are approaching sweets and when we're talking about sweets. I had, not long ago, I talked to somebody who, when she was a kid, her parents actually, literally, they locked sweets up. So oh. just to make sure that she couldn't get to it. And, and of course, you know, you could do that. You could totally um, uh, restrict them and say that these things are, you know, only for when we say they, you, you can you can have them, but locking them up, it just sends the message of well, first of all, it sends the message of this particular sweet is so so good. It's also very very sinful, mm -hmm. but I think the next message that it sends to, and that's even more important, is you cannot be trusted around sweets, mm -hmm. and and I think that is really one of the things that that we need to take into consideration when we're talking about sweets, that we don't want our kids to obsess about them. And we also don't want them to think that they cannot be trusted around sweets. And it might be this, you know, two sides of the same coin, but that's really an important thing to refrain from because often when I hear parents talk about sweets or um, candy or cakes or whatever, what they tend to do is they tend to, via their vocabulary, they kind of send a message about, well, they send this healthy, unhealthy dichotomy message, like either things are healthy or they're unhealthy. Either it's bad or it's good. So it's either kind of idealizing it or making them super sinful and at mm -hmm. the same time. So, so what we need to be very careful about is exactly this, because what happens when we say that something is unhealthy and like indirectly sending the message, this is so good, but it's also very unhealthy, is that it's, it's, we make our kids idealize them. We, we make our kids obsess about them because of course they want them. They're, they're so, so good. The, another downside to that dichotomy is of course that if these sweets are so unhealthy, so sinful, then what am I? Am I bad for eating them? Am I am I going to be fat for eating them because you just said so, mom? And stuff like that. So it's very much, it's just really important that we think a lot about our vocabulary and the words that we use around these things. And instead of doing that, what we can do is because... Some parents say that, you know, we should eat the real food first and then you could have the, the candy or whatever after. And and what they do when they say that something is, is unhealthy is that they're also keeping their kids from making their own decisions about this. Mm -hmm. So instead of doing that, what I usually encourage is to talk to your kids about what kind of role that food plays. So sometimes we actually, if we were to eat broccoli all the time, that wouldn't be healthy for us either. Mm -hmm. And of course, it wouldn't be healthy for us to eat lollipops all the time either. But having a balanced diet and incorporating these, all these things that food, the food universe has to offer for us is what matters. And sometimes what our bodies need is fat, you know, carbs or fat or sugar or just some quick energy. And that is something that we tend to overlook in our, you know, in the society we have today. We kind of tend to just say that sweets are always bad and they're not always bad as long as we just don't eat them all the time. It's very much just about balance. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that language around, you know, they, they're they a part of our diet. They're part of the things we eat, but they're not everything we eat. It kind of takes away the power. Um, yes. How do, you, how do you feel about, so... One of my favorite theories for, you know, like attitude around food is a lot of French philosophy around food. And mm -hmm. something I love about the French is that they're 
they're very embracing of yes all types of food and the roles that any food can play treats fats all of those things yes they don't don't demonize any of them no exactly I feel like that's that's really important and I I feel like their theory with it is kind of the timing of it and it's worked really well in my family where we have some sort of treat or snack when the boys get home from school and then also after dinner. And so it's really mm-hmm. simple for me to say, you know, oh yeah, that cookie looks really good. Do you want to have that for your treat today or for your dessert today? And mm-hmm. it kind of takes away any sort of like, ah, are you hungry? Yes. Do you want to know? Yes. Do you want to for you? So, so what yes. do you do? Do you use something like that or how do you frame treats? Yes. Stuff? Oh, yes, absolutely. I do that too. And I'm, you know, and some even go to the lengths to say, well, whenever we have a meal, we also serve a little, like a little sweet or a little something on the plate along with, you know, the meals that we serve. Like it could be two little gummy bears or it could be a little tiny cookie or, and it could be whatever. So that's one way of approaching it. But the reason why this happens is, and I think find that very interesting, it's actually the psychology of scarcity. Because mm-hmm. if, we, if we perceive something as being scarce and something that we can't have a lot of and that we might be restricted from in two minutes, then we are going to obsess about it, of course. So right. it's almost like, and we all know the example of like, so if we have 10 kids and we have 10, uh, say, balls, we have nine green ones and one purple one, regardless of their gender, they're all going to want the purple one because mm-hmm. that's just how we work. We kind of like idealize what we do, what we can't get much of. And that's the exact same thing about sweets. If we know we're going to be restricted about them, we only have these little tiny little windows sometimes where we can eat them, then we're going to over obsess about them. We're going to eat too much when we, whenever we have access to them. Uh-huh. So it's very much about kind of like, you know, taking out the power of these things and, and just uh, neutralize their power, really. Right. So I know that a lot of families do use them as eat your dinner and we'll have yes. ice cream. So kind of bribish, rewardish situations. What do you suggest instead? Well, yes, because bribing and rewarding with sweets and treats are, that is just, it's very counterintuitive for, you know, in terms of what we want to achieve often, because what we want to achieve is that they eat their veggies. We want to teach them how to, you know, not only eat their veggies, but also like their veggies. But what happens when we reward our kids is that, you know, they might eat them because you dangle an ice cream or whatever in front of them, but they're not going to like them. And as soon as you take out the rewards and, you know, because they're only effective for as long as they're present. So whenever you stop rewarding them, they also stop doing what, you know, what you wanted them to do to get the reward. Mm -hmm. So it makes sweets more attractive and it makes whatever they had to eat to get the sweets more undesirable. And that's just, you know, how it works psychologically. It might make them eat them, but they're not going to like him. And they're also not going to, you know, have a relationship with them because all they can think about whenever they're presented with that is what do I get, you know, for eating it. So, and not only that, when we reward and when we bribe and do stuff like that, and that really goes for anything, um, not only food, but 
is that it's it's actually it's manipulation, of course, and it impacts relationship between parents and kids negatively because yeah, well, it's manipulation, of course, and it adds to this imbalance that is already there. So when we can, we should definitely refrain from doing it. And I know it's just an, it's such an easy way out, right? Because we get what we want instantly. We get them often to eat what we want them to eat, but the problem is it's going to cause some really long-term um, negative con- consequences that are going to be, you know, from that. Right. And it's so tricky. I mean, the only the only tip I have that sometimes can help is, you know, in our family, for while we're eating dinner, everybody has to stay at the table. That's our only rule. And yeah. it's about connection and being together and I don't even care what you eat. <laughs> and exactly. I love that. <laughs> them to eat because yes. they're there and they're seeing us eat and they're, you know, interacting with the food. Do you have any other tips for families who are like, but my kid won't even sit down, won't even look at his plate. And so I have to use dessert as a bribe. What, what else can <laughs> they do? Well, I think it's very much, as you said, about creating this pleasant mealtime environment and, and a place of connection and a place of, and also a structure so they know what to expect, that they know that at 6 p.m. or whenever we eat, that's when we go to the table, everybody. And and we sit there and whatever rules you have at that table, it doesn't matter if, you know, if you're enforcing the rule of everybody stays until everybody's done, or if you enforce the rule of, you know, one minute per year that you are or whatever, just make it recognizable and familiar with them so they know what to expect from it. So if we create this pleasant mealtime environment where we don't pressure and we don't um, force food on them, and we don't actually talk a lot about food, we just sit there, we, we are together and we are, you know, emphasizing being there together and the connection and, and give them all the attention that we can without giving the food too much attention. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, so so it's it's very much I think about creating a mealtime structure that they can recognize. So I usually say that we have like four uh, three main meals a day and then we have maybe a snack or a mini meal in between. And so so that way we are going to make sure that they will actually have a decent appetite worked up for when dinner is ready. Mm-hmm. And when we do it that way, they will also be motivated to to sit with you. Yes. And I can say just simply and this is kind of this is kind of what this a similar process as I talk about with screen time it becomes you know screens can become such a crutch and yes almost like an addiction well not almost an addiction for our kids and same thing with snacks it is going to be painful but I just really feel very strongly about we our kids don't need snacks they don't need food as entertainment it it changes their dynamic with food. It makes it so, of course, they're not hungry at the meals. And I just feel really strongly if you're super aware of your kids' yes, snacking, yes. it will change your meal times. Exactly. And I think that's exactly what it's about because, of course, they're, if they are constantly, and we in America, we're really bad at that because we kind yeah. of, we have these snack trays on our strollers. We have snacks in the car. We, and even, you know, grownups, we go and snack and graze all the time. We even have these soft drinks that we go and sip from all the time too. Mm-hmm. So we're really bad at, at also modeling to our kids that that is not the way to go about it. And of course, they're not hungry, as you said, if they're going to snack up until, you know, dinner and they'll be like, oh, well, you know, so the motivation is not there when they sit down. On the other hand, if you have made sure that they might, you know, that they haven't had a snack for an hour and a half, that's usually what I say. 
um, then they will be hungry. They will have the chance of having worked up an appetite that's pretty decent to go and, and be motivated to eat with, uh, with everybody else. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really important, but I think you're so right. And I think you, you've touched on it a few times, like the dinner table. And that's really one of, one of the things that I'm trying to emphasize in everything I do. And also at Real Food Hero on Instagram and, and, and the social media, that the dinner table, is, it's, it seems to be this sort of bygone ideal now. It's like we've abandoned the institution of the dinner table, Mm -hmm. you know, whenever the convenience came into the picture and we were more and more busy and we didn't have time to eat together at the same times because so so we eat staggered meals and we just, you know, take something out of the microwave. But hey, wait, uh, what came out of the microwave is not for everybody because somebody wants a diet that consists of uh, low carb and another one wants no sugar or somebody doesn't want meat or whatever. Mm-hmm. So so I think what we need to do is to center the meals more than we've, we've done for decades now. And, and we I think we really need to prioritize the shared meals a lot more than we have previously. Because I think that's going to be, well, not only think, I know that that will have a positive impact on the mealtime struggles that we're seeing and also on the pickiness. Because what kids will see when they sit at the table with us, they're going to see us eat. They're going to see us like what we eat. They're going to love the the vibe around the table if we make sure it's not a, a non-pressuring environment. So all of that will definitely encourage them to, to sit there, to eat with us, to just take in whatever is there. Yes. Amen to all of that. I am wholeheartedly behind your mission. I think that we underestimate the power of food and meals and the connection that can it can bring our families and yes i just want to say thank you for everything you're doing and it <laughs> will be so helpful we will link to all of your social your website is there anything else you wanted to leave with our audience no i don't think so i think we've covered a lot of it yeah yeah i thought it was amazing i think it will be so helpful And just thank you for coming on and helping us find the magic. (coughs) Me, 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 me. (laughs) Brown cows.